dynamic diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic magazine We're all different but we can learn from each other Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered, Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, I've personally been preaching that we have to wake up and realize that we that are white people are going to be the minority in the nation. And it's happening so quickly. We talked to Eddie Frazier about her equal rights journey to the future of technology. Eddie Frazier grew up in Atlanta, Georgia in the 50s. It was a time when women and minorities were repressed from basic rights. She felt a sense of camaraderie during the civil rights movement and witnessing discrimination led her to focus on diversity. In high school, she decided that she wanted to lead and drive the advancement of equality. She shares her journey with Dynamac. Can you share with us something of your childhood? Where did you grow up and what was it like? I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, in a time where not only women and girls, but people of color really were repressed from leadership. So I felt a sense of togetherness during the Civil Rights Movement and clearly at my own high school to really lead and be very inclusive of others and know we needed to really drive, even in those early days, the advancement of women and women of color, people of color. Well, that was my next question. Was there anything in your early life that influenced you to focus on diversity? I think it was witnessing discrimination, both with holding girls back and women back, and certainly growing up in the South, the same for people of color. I became very committed with the blessing of my parents for lots of international exchange programs. By the time I was a sophomore at Duke, I think I had supported four international exchanges from the Experiment in International Living, the African Scholarship Program of American Universities, and basically other programs that would really be instrumental to understanding the world as well. And then when President Kennedy said, what are you doing for your country? I then signed up to be on the Peace Corps staff and moved up from college recruiting to being a desk officer for Africa and spent five years at the Peace Corps. Then, when Martin Luther King was shot and Bobby Kennedy, I felt we weren't doing enough for this country with the riots. So I spent the next five years working for our nation's poverty program 
and traveled to over 100 communities in America under contracts to look at the ability to really serve those that were underserved, which is clearly diversity, with the importance of what we could do. I hired the first all-black team to go with me on visits to inner cities. I hired the first welfare mother ever under a government contract. I've never told anybody that. And basically, but I think that influenced basically the really direction of where we needed to really focus on. And then clearly gender leadership, entrepreneurship leadership for women became such a passion. I was the first president here of the National Association of Women Business Owners. I don't know if I was the first president, but I was president here, and then we took it national, right? I don't think I was the first, but I was very active in Women Business Center, and I was very active in the first movement to support women in political office. I have a passion for making sure we get more women, and is that includes a very special interest I have to get more women in the United States Senate because I believe that each of us need to pick one thing we can influence and get all of our friends and colleagues to join us to really drive change. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you grew up in the 50s? I did, and then in the 60s, basically, is when I graduated from Duke in 65, and then Uh joined the Peace Corps and the Poverty Program, and then got into the whole area. I served in government for a while, heading up healthcare communications, and then joined a major global public relations firm, and in 1975, Five started my own PR public affairs firm, and I've sold two companies, and I basically, but with that, I really push diversity, women and diversity, all the way. So the last company that I formed included diversity best practices that I founded, and something called the Business Women's Network. And that was, and I did best practice in corporate communications, worked with over 250 companies on their diversity strategies, and then sold that company and joined Diversified Search. Then is basically I... After I sold the last company, which I've been through 10 years ago, so it was 2007, I went to a fellow member of the Committee of 200. I'm a founding member of the Committee of 200, Premier Women's Business Group, and is she asked me to open up the Washington office of the largest woman executive women-owned executive search firm in the world, and I did. And then six years ago, we set up a subsidiary called STEM, S-T-E-M, Connector, Mm -hmm. and we basically have built the movement 
to really focus on great STEM jobs with technology being premier since 70% of all jobs require tech skills. And then in 2013, we kicked off Million Women Mentors, which is a massive and we believe the largest gender movement for great careers and jobs for women and girls. And we're up to 1.84 million pledges to mentor. But you can mentor, you can sponsor, you can support internships, apprenticeships, or online mentoring as long as you give 20 hours a year. We've already fulfilled 850,000 pledges for mentoring, and we plan to hit 2 million pledges this year. And by 2023 million pledges, we're active in 45 states in the United States with Million Women Mentors Committees. And we are now got efforts in eight countries as we truly look at the future of women. On the technology side, we have at STEM Connector done so much work to say that the opportunities are immense with the most jobs being in technology and the exciting careers, whether they be cybersecurity or big data analytics or coding. And so we have really worked with many companies, but also champion the effort, whether it's governors or others, to push computer science in all the schools. The governor of Rhode Island, who's our honorary chair for Million Women Mentors there, was the first governor to push computer science in all the schools in Rhode Island. Subsequently, other governors are pushing computer science. We work with Tata Consulting Services, who do one of our prime sponsors, not only of STEM Connector and Million Women Mentors, but they have donated in kind millions of dollars for the Million Women Mentors website. But with them and with so many others, we are pushing the pipeline of opportunity for technology jobs as being the pay equity issue for the nation. Because, as you know, women and girls, women in employment on the pay equity side are still 77 cents on a dollar. But when you look at the opportunities, and it's so much worse for African-American and Hispanic women and girls, but if we realize that the STEM jobs are 92 cents on a dollar and the women in technology, the technology jobs are 96 cents on a dollar, we then know that the opportunity is enormous. And even though 57% of professional jobs are held by women, it's only 30% of the tech workforce. But when we really take out the administrative types, it's only 24, 25%. And so it is so important that we really focus on women and women of color for tech jobs because it is the 
prevalence of where the jobs are. And we like to salute every company because every company has become a tech company. It's not just the companies we think of as tech companies, which are all under pressure to get their data gender up, but it is really every company today, be it financial services or food and agriculture, every company sees themselves as a tech company. Well, I did have some additional questions for you. Uh, right. You mentioned that you went to Duke University. What was your focus of study there? Political science. Okay. So I graduated with honors in political science, which is one of the reasons that it drove me to Washington. Oh. Is that where you are now? Yes. I'm in Washington, D.C. been here for decades. Okay. And what was your introduction to technology? Interesting, because I clearly was a novice in technology, but I believe when we look at the workforce issues and the changes, I think we're all fascinated where where are the jobs, where are the skills needed, what is the opportunity for entrepreneurs in this nation, and where we can drive pay equity. It's basically through technology. So I think that my philosophy is we got to learn new tech skills every day. We got to learn skills every day. And that young people are gravitating to it. And we that are older can learn a lot from the younger generation. If we bring our business skills and match them with their tech skills, it's going to be just a super intergenerational alignment that will really help propel the most competitive companies and thus also bring economic rewards to women and their families. I love the way you put that. <laughs> that I'm going to use that as a direct quote. <laughs> okay. The intergenerational part. Right. Well, what inspired well, we you? Well, we do. I mean, I, I remember when Secretary Clinton, during the mentoring month, asked each of us to come to the State Department and bring a mentee. And if one after the other of us got up and said, we learn more for our mentee if they're in technology and they're young, because what we do is really give to one another. Absolutely. Well, what inspired you to create STEM Connector? I had really spent my life building the diversity and diversity best practices and working. And once I joined the executive search firm, one of my former clients called and said the country was spending the USA over one trillion dollars on STEM education leading to careers, but there was no organization tracking and building the ecosystem. And could we develop a inventory of all the initiatives? That was in the spring of 2011. And by November 2011, a small team of us launched STEM Connector with 
the profiles of 5,500 organizations. That was corporations, professional societies, nonprofits, et cetera. And is the today we say the country is probably spending 1.2 trillion, 1.3 trillion. But what we need to do is equate it to great careers and jobs, and the best are all with technology skills in some way or the other. You can't work for Walmart or Johnson & Johnson or any company today without tech skills. Absolutely. So can you tell us how STEM Connector works and what are its products and services? STEM Connector is, we see, as the, as the ecosystem for really STEM resources and best practices. So we have eight different units at STEM Connector. So Million Women Mentors is clearly our gender movement that is galvanizing support and thousands of people to be active. We're in 45 states now with committees. We have 200 events this year for Million Women Mentors, 150 alone just in the states, supporting the whole effort of mentoring and supporting women and girls. We have a global STEM talent initiative we call GSTS, focusing with the private sector. And our theme this year is the whole going digital and technology, but it's looking at all efforts to drive new jobs. We say we've got 5 million tech jobs to fill, and that group is truly looking at what each company can do and what then the consortium can do. We have a STEM Innovation Task Force, which has propelled different initiatives that we've got in terms of thought leaders. We have a Food and Ag Council focusing on just the careers and jobs for all, but that they see that technology is driving them, as well as the service of feeding 10 billion people around the world by 2050. And so there's a big social mission with that as well. We have a higher education council of 50 schools, community colleges, four-year colleges, starkly black colleges, Hispanic-serving institution, all on the career pathways of working with business to create jobs. And then we have a new effort called Day of Design to captivate this nation, to design thinking, the maker movement, 3D printing and teams that really compete. So October 6th is Day of Design for the nation. And with that, we believe we will have nearly 4 million participants across the nation. And then our last effort is all about thought leadership, summits, white papers. We've done a paper a year on the future of technology and computer science. We've done one on big data and data analytics. We've done one, so we've done a lot of that, and then many, many summits and conferences associated with those eight products. That's, that's really impressive. 
Well, we've you know, got lots of cool people to thank, right? Because it takes everybody stepping up and doing this together. So we've got so many leaders that are focusing on each of the initiatives and what they can do to really drive change, right? You know what? We did a blog with Ingenui, the CEO of PepsiCo, like I did that with her in 2015. And when she said, if you can think that if every professional, right, could just think about mentoring one person, one girl, what this whole nation could be, and we say that over and over again in terms of what we can do to impact each other's lives and drive change. So, And it's so exciting to see the STEM area become a movement itself for chief executive officers and others. And we can suggest that basically six years ago, that wasn't the case. I think that when we first got into it, so many people thought that STEM was all about STEM cells, but didn't <laughs> realize the impact of technology and science and math and the areas that were really going to propel us to the greatest jobs for the nation. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm not sure I understand how Million Women Mentors work. Well, if you go on our millionwomenmentors.org website, you'll see all the pledges up there. You'll see resources. You'll see state efforts. As I say, in the 45 states, we've got committees. So each state has come forth with pledges. California has the largest with 50,000. I think they've finished 40,000 commitments already. Uh, Texas has 40,000. Ohio has those state by state by state. is putting together pledges, committees, and what they do, monitor, and then they put up data. So if you have to give 20 hours a year to a mentor-mentee, we've got partnerships with nearly 100 nonprofit organizations representing 20 million women and girls, and we basically are working with corporations on their commitments to really advance, not only from middle school up, but what they can do, entry level, middle level, executive level, and boards of directors to really, by mentoring, sponsorship, and internships, drive change. So we just commend every effort. For example, Tata Consulting Services, TCS, started a project called Go IT. They're now in 55 communities. So it's important to me and women mentors, but that's also for all kids. But half of those participants in those communities have to be girls. And then what we've done is support company after company with their diversity effort or their pure gender effort with technology conferences. You know, with Walmart, we went and did a conference for women in tech at basically the forum that is really impressive called Grace Hopper, which I think you may know. But I think every day there is something in this country that's supporting women in technology, girls in technology, and what we can do to drive skills and skills up. 
and to show how much you can earn in these great jobs. Because often the girls don't understand. They think, gosh knows I didn't understand because we didn't even have this world of technology. The absolute ability to earn great dollars for women and their family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to ask you about the STEM Higher Education Council and the STEM Innovation Task Force and the STEM Connectors Food and Agricultural Council. I think you've kind of already covered those. Okay. Well, um, and it's just the higher education. We've produced two major publications. The one that was really known called Advancing a Jobs-Driven Economy. We did 65 case studies of higher education and business working together to drive jobs because of their partnerships. So whether you're a welder in career and technical education or whether you are uh, doing big data analytics, there's a great job for you because you are really getting the skills and the training. But today we know you don't necessarily need four-year colleges. It's you need the skills. So we're really big proponents of community colleges and other areas to get the training. And we also commend so many companies, as well as the government, for investing in training. There are literally billions of dollars being invested to make certain that the current workforce is engaged by getting training for new skills. And we know in the rural areas and underserved in this country, there is such an opportunity if we really focus on those jobs that need skills, getting people the skills and give them something that will be so gratifying to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why do you feel that diversity in technology is so important? Because it's the demographics of the nation. So for two decades, I've personally been preaching that we have to wake up and realize that we that are white people are going to be the minority in the nation. And mm -hmm. it's happening so quickly. Already five states, the minorities are the majority in some of our biggest states. Texas, California, New Mexico, Florida. I mean, it's amazing. And what we're seeing now is that the youth of the nation, the minorities are already the majority for kids mm -hmm. under seven years old, right? And so the change, we can't run for it. We've got to embrace it and say this is the richness of this country and basically and the only way that CEOs now know if we, and we talk to a company about this every day, if we, and we're doing fairly well with Asian Americans, but if we absolutely don't do anything with African Americans and Hispanics to really change the numbers, and particularly for great step jobs, then we're just missing a talent pool that needs tremendous skills to get these great jobs. Absolutely. What is your vision of the future? What do you want to accomplish through your companies that you haven't already? The future 
has truly got to be closing the supply and demand gap, right? So if the demand is for all these great skilled tech jobs, and for example, or for just greater skills, and the supply is so limited, if we've got to do that, it would be so great to see these millions more coming into the exciting jobs and knowing that this economy will flourish because we really are embracing gender and diversity. And I think as one chief diversity officer said today, it's not only diversity and inclusion, but she had just named herself the area that would also add the engagement area, which is really important to a title that would be so much of making certain that we were making a difference. So, because if we don't focus on great working places of the future, then the retention rates are so bad, and we're not going to be able to really kick off what you and I know. We no longer have great careers in one country, company. You may have to go to 20 companies. But she's calling herself now the Chief Diversity and Inclusion and Belonging Officer, which oh, wow. is the first title we've ever heard that nice. really says, what do we really do to engage the new generation and our workforce to get excited about change? Fabulous. Well, uh, that was my last question. Is there uh, anything else that you'd like to add? What would you think? <laughs> well, it sounds like you pretty well, much covered I think everything. I legacy. You know, I did a book with a co-author called Do Your Giving While You're Living, all right? And we did, again, I think 67 case studies of just what, we're seeing is, and it's so important that we basically all understand we can give back, but we also understand in the world of donating time is one thing if you don't have the money, but if you can really have a great job and make money, giving back now, the way Melinda and Bill Gates, you can't necessarily be a Melinda and Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett. But every one of us can really give back. And I think this whole mentoring is just an opportunity of what we can do to mentor, or to sponsor, to provide internships that we can really impact, right? And as so as we absolutely look at what Maya Angelou said to us, we just got to stay positive because we've all got so many setbacks. But as she said, get rid of the negative people in your life and keep going. And so I think to all of us, what we've really got to engender positive people and to know that together we can really support some exciting things. I love it. Thank All you right. so much for the Take interview. Care. God Thank bless. You so much for what you've been doing for women and and people of color. Yeah, thanks. Thank You're you welcome. so much. Bye. You're welcome. 
Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic and do them both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired. Dynamic Diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be